Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. It looks like travel or ice or COVID has knocked a bunch of us out. Thank you for being here. Praise God that we're still able to be here. And I, I don't take that lightly. I'm just so grateful that we still have the freedom to be together. I still remember what it was like when all of us, including me, had to stay at home and watch. I had to watch myself preach on YouTube every week. And I was like, I can't do this. And uh, I'm just so grateful that this is an option available to us. Are you glad you're here today? I'm sure you all carried something into this room. Maybe it was just a feeling of flatness. Maybe there was hope, joy, annoyance. I don't know what you carried in here, but I can tell you this right now. You also have a choice right at this moment in the presence of God, in the house of God, to open yourself up to him and see what he will give you. You can leave with exactly and only what you carried in here, or you can walk out with what God pours into your empty hands. That's really up to you. So I'm asking you, whatever you carried in here, Would you open yourself up to God and see what he'll give before you leave? Some of us have been in it for so long, we almost forgot how to be hopeful and uh, how to open ourselves up. I don't think that's something we should ever outgrow, no matter how old you get, how familiar these things become. Title of the message is Failing Forward, and that's a phrase I'm hearing more and more in the business community as well as the Christian community. It's an idea, a phrase that acknowledges the reality, maybe even the inescapable nature of failure. And you can only fail if you attempt something, right? If you you attempt nothing, you won't fail. You'll perfectly succeed at doing nothing. But if you attempt anything at all in this world, you're going to fail at some point. And it tells us that failure, while it normally knocks people backwards, can also be an opportunity to propel us forward. Last Sunday, we did this exercise at church, and I don't know if you can see some of those photos there, but we did a one-word focus. And this is something I learned from Pastor Jared, who has always been really disciplined and intentional about these kinds of things. Uh, Every year, he would share with me a word that would drive and, and focus him for the whole year, and it's a word that God had laid on his heart a word that meant something to him, and then he would put it somewhere where he could be reminded of it throughout the year, and it actually helped him move in that direction for 365 days. Now, normally, I'm not really good at stuff like that, where it's like maintaining momentum for like a whole year. I'm more like an Enneagram 7. It's got to be fresh and new all the time, so I could come up with a word every day, and that would keep me interested, but a one word for the whole year sort of does something to me that's not great. But over the the course of watching Pastor Jared's life, I've learned the value of doing this. And so we did it as a church last week. My guess is that word that you put down, it means something to you. It matters for a reason. So I want to ask you to think about that word. Maybe you wrote it down just because you had to do something. Maybe you didn't really care that much about your word. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that was you. But chances are... You put that word down because it represents something that is important to you but is not already in your hands. And just for a second, think about what your life would be like at the end of this year 
if somehow God takes that word and turns it into a reality in your life. Like it's not just a word anymore, but this thing, this idea is part of you now. You've moved significantly towards that experience, that reality. I want to give you encouragement to stay the course even if already by January 9th that word has fallen apart for you. I'm going to just be honest here, all right? My word is focus because my spirit animal is the dog in the movie Up. Like squirrel. You know, I'm a very distractible person, and I don't think it's just because I'm shallow or lazy. I think it's because I'm interested in everything. It doesn't take much for me to be fascinated, and the world just seems to be filled with things that make me want to look at it. And for most of my life, I have had to discipline myself to be focused, but it's not my nature. How many of you guys know someone who's seriously focused? Like, they could be lost in their own world for like a week and not come up for air. I, I know a few people like that. I'm not like that. So my word for this year was focus. And already by January 9th, there have been large blocks of time that I lost forever. I kind of come up for like, what was that? Why did that matter? So, even writing this sermon, I'm going to say like 15 seconds worth of stuff about space travel as a metaphor. I spent two hours immersed in the current state of space travel because I'm so, just so fascinated by it. And maybe it's not completely wasted, but by the time it came up for air, I was like, I was supposed to be sermon prepping. I'm not a NASA guy. What am I doing? And it was just like that, two hours of my life, gone. Maybe you have that experience too where you set out this year to focus on something and it only took a week for you to lose that one word focus. That's going to be inevitable if you chase anything worth chasing. You're going to lose your way. So this morning, what I want to do is give you some hope and encouragement for when you hit those points of failure in the course of pursuing something worth chasing. Now, I want to pause here and just say, for some of you, the word you chose was not really a decision word, but is more a word of hope and yearning. It represented something that has eluded you And you want it so badly, but it's not really yours to just go out and get. Words like hope or peace, freedom, quiet, joy. These are words, yes, you can do a few things to get after them. Let's acknowledge that. There is something you can do. But at the end of the day, these words of yearning and hope are actually words that require patience and faith because they are gifts that God ultimately has to give us, and that's a hard thing. If that's the kind of word you chose, then please don't hear the sermon the wrong way. Most of it doesn't apply necessarily to people who chose a word of hope and yearning. That's something that I think we need to learn to wait patiently for the Lord to give us. For you, I would say the main task is not to chase that word, but to focus on why that word is something you yearn for. To not give up on the word, to keep telling God, I'm not going to stop because I need this word to happen in my life. Some people very close to me have words like that this year. I don't want you to hear the sermon as a rebuke of you or in any way saying to you, hurry up and get it because some of these things you can't just go out and get. God has to give it in his time. And that's the hardest thing maybe in the whole world is to wait on God. 
When you're powerless to get it, it's like pushing the elevator button, right? I mean, you see people doing it neurotically. Like, it's not like a video game where you accelerate the thing. It's just that it's an admission. I can't make this thing happen any faster, and I have no choice but to wait. And that's what it feels like to wait for things that are important to us, but only God can give. For you, I'll give this word of hope that comes out of Psalm 40. And I love the way Eugene Peterson translates it in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. He says, I waited and waited and waited for God. Man, some of you could, if if you get a tattoo, that would be your tattoo, wouldn't it? I waited and waited and waited for God. That third wait, it's a matter of decision. It's not easy to wait and wait and wait. It's okay to wait. Most people can even wait and wait. But wait and wait and wait says, I made a choice not to give up. I'm going to wait for God. And look at the words at the end of that. At last he looked. Finally he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. I want to give you that word if your word this year is a word that only God can really give you in his time. Your main task is not to get it. It's to not give up. I don't know if my kids will remember, but I gave them this word over and over when they were kids who were walking and talking. And I'd say, you know, the, the point of life, if you compare Christian life to bowling, the point is not to bowl a 300 game. The point is to never stop bowling. That's what faith is. It's not that someday I'll be perfect. It's that no matter how imperfect and clumsy, faith is continuing to get up and hope. And I hope for you that that will be the way you wait for your word this year. Many of us, last week we chose a word that reflects intent and decision. It wasn't just a word we hope will come to us. It's a word we know we must actively pursue. Just out of curiosity, how many of you chose a word like that? A word that really is about intent and decision and commitment. It's okay to raise your hand in church. It's, it's the one thing you get to do other than sit and listen. All right. So I picked a word like that. Mine was focus. And it's because I need this in my life, and I don't think focus will come to me if I wait for it. I've got to make some changes to have a more focused life. Now, if that's the kind of word you pick this year, my prayer, my hope for you, is that your whole journey for 2022 will be up and to the right. Like It will just be a nonstop victory journey. But that's a bit like hoping that you'll go home today and not hit a single red light. Theoretically possible, statistically improbable. Are you with me? It's okay to wish that your journey would go without any stops, any obstacles, no hindrance whatsoever. But I'm here to tell you it probably won't go that way. And really, anything worth doing in a world ruled by entropy and sin and brokenness will come with difficulty. It's easy to do nothing, but if you do something, anything, in this world, it won't come easy. And chances are that even though your intent is so noble, there will be no end to the obstacles that will get in your way. So how do you get past 
the failures that ultimately lead to success. Because every noble goal I've ever seen meets with a lot of failure before it meets with success. That's one of the reasons I picked space travel and a rocket as a metaphor for this whole thing. It's so rare that we attempt something huge and get it right away. Once in a rare while, it works. I remember the first time I tried that bottle flipping trick. Elijah was obsessed with this. I remember we heard thump, thump, thump all day. I'm like, how often can that kid do this? But he got pretty good at it. So the first time I ever tried it, first time I, I did it. It's like, holy cow. I'm, and then the next 80 times I, I couldn't. But, you know, it's once in a while, the first time you try something, bam, beginner's luck. But most of the time, any good thing we try, keep hitting potholes one after another. I want to give you some words of encouragement to think about when you hit those failure points. First is to receive God's grace. And these are going to go fast, so you've got to hang with me here and focus, okay? I've never met a single person who enjoys failure. Do you know anyone who just loves it? Oh, gosh, I, I failed again. It was a great day. Everyone hates it. Everybody hates failure. But there's two kinds of people that particularly have difficulty coping with failure. Perfectionists have a really hard time accepting failure because they believe that, that their worth is tied to succeeding. And so it causes them to spiral. They really struggle with it. And defeatists have a hard time dealing with failure because they're already convinced that failure defines them. And this is just another, another point of proof. And so they give up. So perfectionists are very slow to accept failure. They deny it. They gloss past it. They work through it. Defeatists go, yeah, well, what do, you, what do I expect? It's so stupid for me to hope because failure is what I am. In either case, perfectionism and defeatism destroys the work of God in our lives. It makes everything that's possibly good bad in our lives because we've set ourselves up for unrealistic expectations. I want to revisit the passage that I shared with you last Sunday briefly. And it comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. And it's Paul's confession, and that's where we got this idea of one focus. He says, No, dear brothers and sisters, speaking about the fulfilling of his calling and reaching spiritual maturity. He says, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. And what is this one thing that Paul is focused on? He says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. How many of you guys know that's one of the hardest things to do in life? Because the past isn't a figment of your imagination. It's like something stamped in concrete. It happened. You can't change it. It's like a stain. I have this, this white sweater that I really like, and there's this coffee stain right there. It's actually not, it's right here where I can see it every time I wear the sweater. And you know how when you have a stain, you assume that that's the only thing? Oh, Dave's wearing the stained sweater again. I bet you I've worn that 15 times at this church. You've never noticed it. I can't not notice it. Every time I'm wearing it, I'm staring at it like, why didn't I clean that up when it happened? And I don't know what to do about it, but it's like that. Isn't that what failure is like for a lot of us? It's just right there. And you can't forget the past. Both the things that other people failed you in and your own failings 
in the past, they stand as a permanent record, which is why perfectionists especially have such a hard time getting past it. And Paul says, nonetheless, I forget what is past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. Now, you can't do that by just being cavalier about it or pretending it didn't happen. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not like, you know, that, that attitude of, well, for whatever, I don't care about it. That's not going to settle anything. That's sort of like being broke and then getting bills in your mailbox and going, oh, I can't deal with this. So you go straight from the mailbox to the trash can. There, that solved it. The bill is gone out of my sight. I don't have to deal with it. And that's right. For about 30 to 60 days, you won't have to deal with that bill. You bought yourself a little bit of freedom. But have you done anything to fix it? You think those people are going to be like, huh, it must have gotten lost in the mail. Oh, well, come for it. And that's what we do a lot of times with our spiritual and emotional and relational problems. We think if I could just pretend it didn't happen, bury it, suppress it, I can move on, but you can't. You can't forget what is past and look forward to what lies ahead unless what is past gets dealt with. And we don't have what it takes to deal with it. You can play all kinds of tricks on yourself. Many, many, like I remember when I was a student, I didn't have a traumatic childhood or anything like that, but I was thinking all these mistakes I made in youth group with my friends, with embarrassing things that everyone around me still remembers, I always thought, when I go to college, I can leave all that behind me. That's my ticket out of here. That's my freedom. No one there will know me, and I'm going to start over. Don't we do that? Isn't that one of the reasons we sometimes change jobs? I'm, I'm finished here. I just got to go. That's the reason a lot of people move churches or change families even. We can't deal with it, so we just move on. And what God says to us is that is not actual freedom, and that problem will follow you. You can't just forget. So what does Paul mean when he says forgetting what is past? It doesn't mean you just stop having knowledge of it or pretend it didn't happen. It means that something significant happened that allows you to deal with what is in the past so that you're able to move forward. In other words, forgetting what is past means refusing to be stuck in it because somehow God dislodged you from the weight of that. Perfectionists pin their worth on their success. Defeatists believe failure defines them. But as Christians, we know that in our failure, that's when the grace of God meets us. And he says, you are not defined by that. You are not destroyed by that. Who you are and your ability to wake up tomorrow and keep living doesn't have to do with how you performed. That's one of the reasons the gospel is called good news, is that your worth and your ability to keep going, to even hope for the future to be any different, is because God lives and he is in control. And when you have failed and there's no getting around it, he releases you from that failure. He says that failure is real. Learn from it, but you don't have to be bound by that failing forever. That's what we mean when we say this phrase in church. Give yourself grace. It doesn't mean you could generate grace for yourself. It means God is trying to hold out grace to you. Your job is to get it and put it in there. If I'm holding out cash, it won't be yours till you receive it and put it in your pocket. I'm offering, but you've got to take it. Some of us won't forgive ourselves. The problem has nothing to do with God. God is forgiving you Always. 
It's us. We can't forgive ourselves. And so part of forgetting the past and looking ahead is learning to receive the release and the forgiveness of God. I love this verse in Psalm 73. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. So the first thing when you fail this year, and maybe we already have, is give yourself grace. I've already wasted hours of my life in 2022. I've lost focus. I'm still up here preaching because I'm audacious like that, but man, I feel pretty bad about those hours I'm not going to get back. And so I've had to apply the grace of God to receive it. Because you know what happens when you fail like that? Is frustration and self-loathing start to rise up, don't they? I got no one to blame for my distractedness except me. You know, I wish I could say, well, it was because my kids were watching a video, and I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. It's their fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's me. It's my problem. And I, I know we're tempted to say, man, all of this would be so much easier if there was no opposition. That's like a running back saying, I would be an awesome running back if these big dudes stopped trying to tackle me. But yeah, who would? My grandmother would be a good running back if no one tried to tackle her. But that's not football, and there's no glory in scoring if no one tries to touch you. That's just jogging. In the course of pursuing something great, failure will come, and you have to first receive the grace of God to overcome that frustration, regret, and self-loathing. But then, you have to be honest about why you failed. And it's not such a quick process. I could easily go, oh, well, it's because I still have these apps on my phone. So, you know, come December 30th, I deleted all of my games on my phone because, holy cow, were they sucking up my time. I was hoping I would have to go to the bathroom. I don't know if any of you, maybe some of you are going to leave this church because you're so discouraged by that, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was hoping I'd have to go to the bathroom just so I could get five minutes of me time to play my little game, think about nothing. Oh, thank goodness for my bowels. (coughs) They've given me a coffee break. And so there I am, and I'm thinking, all right, if I just delete these apps, problem will be gone. But guess what happened when I deleted my games? I was spending the same amount of time on YouTube and Instagram. And I was trying to justify it, like Instagram keeps me on top of everyone's lives. I'm like, no, it's, I'm just wasting time, man. So I deleted those. And that's not bad. I, I have to take some measures. But I didn't really address the issue of, it's not just the apps. If it's not this, it'll be that. What's my problem, really? Why am I so anxious to be distracted? That's where reflection comes in. Real reflection. I need to understand why the failure happened. It's not enough to assign blame, make some structural changes, give some punishments, and then move on. I need to know why I'm so susceptible to losing focus. I don't know what your word is, but your word, whatever you chose, has an opposite, and that opposite is probably more natural, more attractive to you than the word you put on your letterboard. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to put it on there, right? Nobody put the word laziness. I aspire to be more lazy than I was last year because you don't have to try for that. That's just how it works. So that word that we put up there 
speaks to something that isn't happening, and there's, there's a reason that's not happening. Most of us don't understand it. God can reveal that to us, but only if we reflect deeply. I love what James, the brother of Jesus, says about this. And this is good for you if you're kind of wandering in your mind or falling asleep right now. Let me just speak these words in love to you at this moment. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. That means even if you manage to stay awake and pay attention, you could still deceive yourself. Coming to church and hearing a sermon, it doesn't make you different. It only gives you new information. So he says, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone, and listen to this metaphor, it's powerful, who looks at his face in a mirror and looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I'll just say this about about this reflection part. Reflection is best summarized by that word, look intently. Don't just look or look hard, look intently. You ever done that? I've said this before to you. Have you looked at, if you're sitting next to someone you've seen a lot, do something really uncomfortable for me, just right now for a second. Turn to that person and just hold eye contact and really look at them. Like really look at them for a second. Seriously, do it. Just turn to someone and just stare for a second. Yeah, we don't do that well, do we? You think you know what your parents look like? What your siblings look like? What your spouse or your friend looks like? You don't. You walk around with like this cartoon character, vague image of each other, because we don't look intently at very much at all. Reflection is intently looking at something. And here's the thing, we often do this. We'll look intently at God's word and do a serious Bible study, or we'll look intently at our lives, but it's not biblical reflection until we do those two things together. Often when we fail, people tend to obsess. And obsessing is not the same as reflecting. Obsessing is like a hamster on a wheel. I have a hamster. He's one of my best friends. And I love when I catch him at night running on his wheel. I think, this dude is furious but he's going nowhere, and it's such a great metaphor for for what obsessing looks like. I am thinking, 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 but you're not really seeing anything. You're repeating the same furious little thought over and over, and you're reinforcing something. Obsessing is it's totally fruitless. It's understandable, but it's totally fruitless. Reflection actually changes things. And what God says to us in his word is if you really want to break past the stuff that's holding you down, You can't just think about your life furiously or intently. You can't just look separately at God's word and understand what it says. And I know people like this. They could tell you exactly what God's word says. They could exactly tell you what's going on in their lives, but they haven't let the two meet each other. It's like two best friends who don't know one another. Biblical reflection means that every time I come to the word of God, what is immediately in my view is also my own heart. And I'm saying, God, I don't want to just understand you. I want to understand me by understanding you. And this week, I've done that. I'm not a real good journaling guy, but last year, Pastor Frank introduced us to a product called the Daily Kairos Journal. 
And he said, it's really helping him. And I'm not a journaling guy. And he told us about it in like spring. And so I'm like, it's too late. OCD won't let me start a journal in spring. So this, this year, I gave everyone on staff a copy of that journal. And I started it. And so far, so good. It's been amazing to have this regular rhythmic uh, opportunity for me to just sit in guided reflection. Normally, I just make the stuff up myself. I do it on my own. This is so guided, and I love it. And already, God has revealed to me some things about my lack of focus that I don't think I could have let anyone else say to me. You know how some things are true of you, but no one else could actually say it to you, but God can? There are truths that only God can tell you because you will crush anyone else who tries to say it. Can you admit that that's true? That most of us make this claim, I'm, I'm an open book, you could tell me anything. No, we can't. Everyone says that, no one means it. I like to say, I like to think that's true of me. Oh, I don't care what you say, just, if it's true, just say it to me. But I can't deny that when some people say certain things to me that are true, I'm like, oh, who do you think you are, huh? You think you're so great? You know, I mean, isn't that our human nature? It's so hard to be that open to other people. And especially because that other person has a hundred things you wanted to say to them too. That's why God can say things to us that no one else can. How are you going to turn that back around and God go, oh yeah, well God, but you, perfect. You're unfailing, you're faithful, you never change. Oh well. I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with failure again and again, that this word on the letter board isn't like an inspiration, but it's like an indictment of you. There's the word you'll never have. If that's how you feel, take some time this year to really reflect on why the other opposite of that word is so natural for you. Understand what it is inside of you that's going on. Let me wrap up with a third thing. So receive the grace of God, apply it to yourself so you can move past your failures. And then after you've been able to recover from the emotional and spiritual fallout of failure, try to truly understand what drives the failure. Reflect on it. And then finally, and this is maybe the most practical of the points, please revise your approach. I consider space travel to be one of the most audacious and noble goals human beings have ever aspired to. Every time I think about space travel and how far we come, I think about the first ancient human beings who looked up at the night sky and suspected it's not just a picture on the sky, there's something out there. I'm sure that some ancient dude thought of that, but wasn't famous enough to get published, but some ancient dude thought that, and I'm thinking, how old is that yearning to get to the stars? When I think about the era we live in, I feel so lucky. I'm so thankful I wasn't born in 1600s. I live in 2022 where we've already sent probes to the edge of our solar system with video and photographs. That's amazing to me. I'm so happy about the Hubble telescope. But I also realize when I think about space travel, and that's why I use the crashed rocket as the image, how much failure precedes every success. I've been especially thrilled lately to track the rivalry between these two crazy dudes. They're like Bond villains come to life. I, these two hugely rich, very smart guys, and they both decided they're going to get to space. And they took what NASA used to do. Governments did this. 
And now they got enough money to do it in the private sector. And because they don't have to beg the government for tax money or be accountable for its use, they're trying crazy stuff that no one else could. Thank God space travel has finally come to the private sector. We might actually get to Mars. What I'm so fascinated about with these guys is how much money they spent before they ever once saw their first success. I fell down the rabbit hole of reading the details of every failure of the Falcon 9 SpaceX rocket. Starship serial number 1 through 15, the Blue Origin Shepard, the New Shepard. You would not believe how many times a $200 million vehicle just exploded in flames. Imagine what it's like to watch that after you spent months building it. You can't just control Z that stuff. Like, it's gone. And most of us see uh, failure as a setback, and it is. Failure always hits the brakes. It's a stop, and sometimes it pushes us back a little bit. But for the rocket scientists, every failure is also a propellant forward. And this is what I find so inspiring and exhilarating about rocket scientists. They are, like any other human, annoyed and frustrated by failure. They're also excited by it. There's a resilience in the rocket scientists that says, well, something went wrong. It's not just a ghost in the machine. It's not gremlins. Something went wrong, and if we study it right, we will never make the same mistake twice. I don't know about you, but I'm not a rocket scientist. I make the same mistake so often I become an expert at it. How about you? I make the same mistake over and over and over and over again. Not rocket scientists. If they have a rusty bolt, no spaceship will ever go up and be sunk by a rusty bolt again. That is now part of the protocol. It's a problem they understand, they identify, and they fix. How many of you engineers just feel so good about yourselves right now? Because that's, that's what makes you tick. I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad people like you are building bridges and designing airplanes. If guys like me invented and designed planes, no one would fly again. There was a time when Moses, as the leader of the people of Israel, was just overwhelmed as a leader. Everyone around him could tell he was spent. He wasn't the same guy. He looked exhausted, had no time for his family. He looked like he was getting sick. Then one day, his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit, and he gives him some free advice. That's what every man loves, right, is free advice from your father-in-law. And I love how this encounter is recorded for us in the Bible. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Have you ever been there? Jethro asked just one question, and it's this question. What are you doing? What is this? What are my eyes showing me? You got, you got three million people with problems, and it's just you, Moses, and you look run, completely run out. My grandkids call you Mr. Moses because they don't even know you anymore. My daughter hardly sees you at home. You look like you're about to keel over. What are you doing? Now, how many of you hear that question, 
And immediately, your first response, your temptation is to become defensive and outraged. You know, sometimes the other leaders at this church, Jeannie, out of care and concern for me, when they see me going too hard, they say, why don't you, you're doing everything, you're going too hard, why don't you take a break? And instead of saying, oh, thank you for caring about me, I get indignant in my spirit. Like, I would if I could, what do you want me to do? And listen, listen, here's how Moses responds to Jethro. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. That's just the words he's saying, but can you hear the spirit of it? If I could translate it to modern English, it would be something like this. What do you want from me? Of course I want to take a break. How am I going to do that? Who else is going to step in? That guy? That guy? You? I mean, they're coming to me. I see their needs. I can't just go, sorry, I don't have room for you. Go and be completely upset somewhere else where I can't see you. And I want to say these things in my spirit in self-defense. It's like, there's no other way. And do you ever feel that way? Like you're stuck in your situation. There's no solution. Everyone's trying to like care for you and go, how about this? How about that? And you're like, if I could do it any differently, I would. You know, here's the thing about rocket scientists. Before they hit ignition, they truly believe they have thought about everything. Do you realize how slow they are to hit that ignition switch? That's why I should never be a rocket scientist. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's good. I just want to see it go up. I'd be like, blowing up rocket after rocket. All they have to see is too many birds flying by in the last month. They go, not yet. Last thing we need is a rocket to hit a bird on the way up. I'm like, there's a lot of birds, but there's a lot of sky. Let's just go. See, rocket scientists, before they ever go, believe that they've already thought of everything. And then when it explodes, they're like, oh, we thought of almost everything. You know, sometimes you want to defend yourself like, look, I did the best I could. There's no other way to do this. And yet you fail. You fail in the pursuit of a noble goal that you and God and everyone around you wants to see happen. And you've got to understand why and be humble enough to say, maybe there's a better way. Do you see what Jethro says to Moses at the end there? Moses hears all this, sees all this, or Jethro sees it, and he goes, Moses, here's my assessment. What you're doing is not good. Now, you've got to understand that correctly. Jethro's not saying, Moses, it's bad for you to give people a sense of God's will. It's bad for you to be a leader. He's not saying that the work that Moses is doing is bad work, but that the way he's trying to do it won't work at all. In other words, he's not saying, Moses, you got to stop doing this. He's saying, you got to stop doing it the way you're doing it, or you're going to kill yourself and a lot of other people. Do you remember when Jonah was running from the Lord, and he was running away on a ship, and the ship was about to sink? His problems didn't just affect him. All those sailors like, oh, shoot, we're going to die too. Do you have the humility to recognize that even if you think you've done the best that you could, failure might be God's way of saying to you, change how you're doing it. Do it a different way. Because if you don't change something and learn from that failure, you are bound to repeat the same result over and over 
and over. Every time a rocket crashes, the pre-flight checklist gets like 50 pages longer. That's because they don't want to repeat yesterday's mistake again today. When you're sending unmanned probes, that's not bad. When real human beings are sitting inside, that's a lot of responsibility. I want you to think about the cost to you and to the people who love you if that word God laid on your heart never happens. What it will cost you and the people you care about if that word remains just a word on a letter board and doesn't become a part of your life. I want to encourage you the next time you fail at your goal to open yourself up to possibility that what you're after is noble, but the way you're going about it isn't working. And that partly means that even when someone like a father-in-law wants to stroll in out of the blue, step in as a new guy into the situation, go, hey, what you're doing is not good, would you have the humility to listen to any voice that might be helping you realize that the way you've attempted it is not going to get you where you're hoping to go? It's heartbreaking when you love someone and you see them in a loop, spiraling and spiraling, and you try out of love to go, hey, could it be possible if you just did it this way? They're like, I already thought of it. Forget it. No, it's not going to work. And they just dismiss you out of hand. And you're like, I'm not saying this to judge you. I really want you to get there. You're so closed off to anyone but your own voice. Isn't it possible that after all of your own pre-flight checklists, that rocket will still blow up? Will you listen to your Jethro's? Let them say to you things you need to hear. Let me invite the praise team up and just wrap up with this word. Let's think again for a minute how our lives would feel and look if that word that you put on that letter board became a flourishing reality in your life. I want you to think about how much could be gained, how that blessing would overflow beyond you into the lives of people you touch. How these frustrating setbacks that you encounter day after day that keep you from soaring could be removed if you could learn how to move past failure. In fact, if you could learn how to be propelled by failure into growth. You know, to finish a race, maybe not win, but at least to finish, only one thing is required. Get up one more time and you fall down. That's all that it's required. You're going to fail if you attempt anything good. I charge you in the love and in the authority of God. Receive his grace and get up from that place of failure. Let him take that stain and hold it and keep moving. Forget what is past and look forward to what could be ahead of you. Once you've freed your heart up, sit still with God and his word. Not just a quick hit and run. Think deeply about what God's word is revealing to you about why the opposite of that word is so natural for you. Why you're so drawn to things that are so self-destructive. 
Why are you given so easily to things that hurt? Understand it. Reflect. Let God say to you what other people can't. And once all that has happened, change the way you're going after it because failure is a reminder that the way you've tried it isn't working. But there is a better way. There is a better way. It's so tempting at that moment to go, forget it, I'm done. Why is it so hard to do the right thing? Why shouldn't this be easier? I know how tempting it is to quit at that moment. Don't quit. Don't be done. There's a better way. And that thing you're after is worth having. Don't quit. Keep going. I pray for you, Harvest, that this year, God will give you hard-fought victory. That word will jump off the letterboard and become part of your story. Why don't we take a moment and ask God to do that very thing? Let's just commit our goals and our desires and our, our yearnings to Him, our intent. Let's ask God to turn that into something real in us. Just take a minute and then we'll close in the songs. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.